0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum Hi, Mom and Mind listeners. I'm happy to let you know that we have our first sponsor for the podcast through none other than 2020 Mom. I'm honored to have them support this podcast and for me to support them by letting you know of an amazing forum they're hosting called Emerging Considerations in Maternal Mental Health. I'm going to give you all the details at the end of this podcast episode, along with a special discount to the 2017 annual forum just for Mom and Mind listeners. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On this episode, we're talking with Dr. Deb Rich about pregnancy loss. This is a very difficult topic for folks to hear about, but even harder for those families who are trying to deal with the loss of a child. It's so important for us to be talking about pregnancy loss, impacts on the family, and how to support people who have experienced this kind of loss. Dr. Deb Rich is a licensed psychologist with over 25 years of specialty experience. She provides patient care, consults with local healthcare professionals, teaches graduate medical and nursing students, and lectures nationally. She is the founder and clinical director of Shoshana Center, which is named in memory of Dr. Rich's first child, a daughter, who was stillborn in 1985. Dr. Rich is the creator and facilitator of Care training and perinatal bereavement training in St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome, Dr. Rich. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Dr. Kat. I'm really happy to be here. So, you know, a lot of people have difficulty hearing about pregnancy loss, but as I said, it's even harder for the families that are going through it. So I think it's vital for us to be having this conversation today to kind of help people like demystify a little bit about what this is and what happens and how to cope and how to deal and maybe some helpful hints on how to support a family. Mm-hmm. What to or what not to say. So those are the things that hopefully we can touch on today. But it would be great to start and hear from you and how you got into the specialty and what your experience was. Sure. So in the early 1980s, there really wasn't a
1: lot of attention yet to the psychosocial aspect of pregnancy loss, although there had been some preliminary research looking at bonding, mostly maternal, not paternal, Mm -hmm. bonding and hypothesizing from really frontline pediatricians that moms really had intense experiences after pregnancy losses, even early pregnancy losses, And so in 1985, when I was pregnant with my first child, people I knew were pregnant and had babies, I was completely unaware of the possibility that I would miscarry or have a stillbirth and had a lot of misperceptions about that. So I had a normal pregnancy. I was 28, I was married. I was already a psychologist. And at 37 weeks, everything was fine. And at 38 weeks, there was no heartbeat. Mm. And Shoshana was stillborn girl. Mm. And then the procedure at that point in time was to send moms home to wait to go into labor before delivery. And I was really fortunate that I had a caregiver had been exposed to this before. so. My rabbi, who was the first person I called, had a family six months previous, and I had never heard of anyone, even in my congregation, that had had this experience. Doctor's office had had a nurse with a previous experience, and the pediatrician that I had chosen for my first child had not had the direct experience, but was incredibly supportive in response when I sent him the news. And so, the hospital I was at, they, just everyone was wonderful. There was a pregnancy loss center in Minnesota that was one of the pioneering centers. So I did get a little bit of literature, and ultimately I was induced, and had the best possible experience I could have in the hospital.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I was disappointed at how unprepared my community was, my faith community, my friends and family, mm-hmm. and the professionals surrounding me. So what I started doing was I committed to doing professional training. I didn't really anticipate that it would change the course of my career. Mm -hmm. And slowly I started doing more and more training and getting training myself, hoping that at some point I would integrate it into my career. And then things just kind of went in that direction. I went back to graduate school to do a doctorate, and did research in the area, and then was hired in a position as the first ever perinatal loss and perinatal mental health coordinator for a large hospital system in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. So I was really fortunate that as a psychologist, I was able to be embedded within the medical system, Mm -hmm. and I'm confident that doctorate helped although the position was usually held by nurses, and so there was a lot of territoriality slash role kind of complexity. But the 13 years I spent there before the position was eliminated as part of downsizing, Mm. when all support services for perinatal downsized out, the 13 years I was there really allowed me to see the whole journey, medical, the psychological, the spiritual. So it was a lot of research and practice learning, but a
0: lot of learning on my feet. And I'm really grateful for that. Right, so I mean that is such a unique perspective to have—is both your own personal experience, then also to be in the system where you are seeing the full extent on some level of a family's experience and a mom's experience Mm -hmm. within the medical system and what works and what doesn't and what's harmful and what isn't. And I know personally, having taken your amazing training, that we'll get to a little bit at the end—that you know the information that you've gained over time and put together and Research is gene of
1: conceptions don't end in live birth and yet we really don't have education community awareness out there in actors offices and other professionals really are not cared childbirth educators midwives ecfe instructors really are not prepared for the frequency that they're going to be exposed to this mm-hmm. in the course of their careers
0: right wow Which, you know, just in thinking about that, if we're not prepared in general, not just as parents about this possibility, but as professionals who see this multiple times a week or, you know, often enough, how impactful that could be on their mental health. So maybe we can start a little bit with just kind of a brief crash course of sorts on the different types of loss that a family can experience at different points during pregnancy. Mm-hmm,
1: so pregnancy losses are generally divided into early pregnancy loss and later pregnancy loss, the so pregnancy being 40 weeks. Oftentimes, people don't tell that they're pregnant until after the first trimester, around 12 to 13 weeks, which is when pregnancies end, usually because either implantation hasn't worked or the embryo hasn't developed. Those are generally in the category of miscarriage. The other category in that realm is ectopic pregnancy, when the embryo is developing outside the uterus, and that can become life-threatening. It cannot continue in a healthy pregnancy. Mm -hmm. The, The line between miscarriage and stillbirth is a little bit arbitrary, and it's based on whatever the laws are in a particular state about when individual cremation needs to occur. Mm-hmm. So in most states, it's 20 weeks at, and anywhere from 20 to 22 weeks, so about halfway. Mm-hmm. But parents have the pregnancy loss, meaning that the embryo or fetus or baby stopped developing where they receive care isn't necessarily based on the label of miscarriage birth. The pregnancy the woman does have to labor and deliver that will happen on a labor and delivery unit. Mm-hmm. The other types of losses are losses that occur when diagnosed with or the baby is diagnosed with some kind of abnormality that may or may not be life threatening, and then there's decisions to be made about what kind of interventions can be done, mm-hmm. what the parents' are and if it's a life-threatening abnormality. And then I tend to focus on through neonatal, which is the first 28 days of life, and that being babies that are not born healthy and never go home. Mm -hmm. There are also losses with babies that go home healthy and then develop an infection or babies who died of sudden unexpected deaths. So what used to be called SIDS, mm-hmm. and then there are babies that are born and stay in the NICU or stay on the unit that die shortly after death. And the last would be a birth accident, which doesn't happen often, but it can happen that something during the process of the birth not necessarily medical negligence, but something happens during the course of birth that's a birth accident that compromises the baby, and then the baby may die shortly
0: later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's quite a range of of possibilities. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that I've heard, the reasons why people don't talk about this is, well, for one, it's sad and scary and can be overwhelming to hear about all of these possibilities and People don't want to stress mothers out by, you know, having this conversation with them and and all of these other things. Why do you think just in terms of emotional and potential emotional impacts on the mom and couple, why is it important to know about this
2: stuff? Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter-Free,
1: pregnancy in the context of transition to parenthood and so there's a lot developmentally that happens at that stage in life and for many people they've been thinking about becoming parents for a long, long time. Many people always wanted to be parents. Many people have a pivotal point where they decided that that's an important part of their meaning of life and so there are all sorts of images That are also connected to my self worth, Mm. my competence, me being an adult. And so that's interrupted by pregnancy loss. And it's not just this little embryo or this little fetus, it's about me as an adult and how will others view me Mm. and how did I fail in my responsibility to protect this pregnancy. So, what's lost is really a pretty part of life transition into adulthood and if you're working with women in the perinatal period or if you're a therapist and working with women of reproductive age or a physician and your focus isn't necessarily ob you're still going to come across this the the incidence is high enough that in the course of your career you will come across this Mm -hmm. and you want your patient to be able to stay with you in this trusted relationship you don't want to compartmentalize or stigmatize. So it's important to know that this is in the framework of what you do.
0: It's not a carve out. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right, specifically for the providers. It seems to me that a lot of people avoid this for, like I said before, obvious reasons. It's very difficult. But I think what you're saying too is the reality of it is that you're going to be hearing about it So prepare yourself so that you can better support yourself in your job and also your clients who
1: come in here. Exactly. And then when it happens, you can respond Mm -hmm. right away in a compassionate way. You can be the lead. You can provide educational material. And you might challenge yourself to think about ways that that material can be apparent in the regular flow of work. And so people aren't going to grab it if they don't need it. Mm -hmm. But if they see that it's there, it won't be suddenly shocking that it happens. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then people can be more ready to help support friends and family if it doesn't happen to them but happens to someone else. But it's a common human experience.
0: Right. I think that's such a good point because from the moms that I hear and people that I hear, they often feel so alone and I think you were alluding to like self-blame and what did I do to cause this and what could I have done differently? And just, it's such a heaviness that they carry around, but often feel like, well, nobody else is talking about it. So I'm alone here.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then they don't know where to go Mm -hmm. We don't know if they can continue care. The tendency is to kind of isolate and protect oneself because it feels very full, you know, has had it happen. Then why did it happen to me? Certainly there must be some missing piece here that I'm not getting that should have been done differently. And that's going to happen no matter what, but we want to work Anticipate that and work against it right from the beginning and being supportive, saying those things out loud, whether we're friends or family. 99% of the time, there's nothing that could be done and there's nothing that was done. And it could have happened while you were sitting in a hospital and it couldn't have been prevented. So it's important for us all to have those words right at the ready to say, it's not your fault. This must be so hard.
0: Right. That is such, such good information and perspective. It's to come with compassion and understanding and gentleness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because this is a different kind of a grief. I mean, all grief is difficult, but this holds a lot more weight in a lot of ways. Can you touch on some of that just in terms of how this kind of grief is different? sure most of the time this is complicated
1: grief because there is again so much about identity and so much about relationship and this relationship is invisible to so many other people it's not shared Mm -hmm. in the way that having even an older child that other people have connection to so you are isolated and you are confused about your attachment But another feature that's really important, so if we think about concentric circles, you've got this pregnant mom who had a pregnancy loss within transition to parenthood, within that mental health and that there are challenges to mental health during any normal pregnancy mm-hmm. and we don't know sometimes until pregnancy if we're susceptible to increased depression or anxiety mm-hmm. so you've got the load to begin with of transition to parenthood, and any impact of pregnancy, and then the loss, so it's quite complex, Mm -hmm. and all of those factors affect what the outcome is, you're almost always going to see some symptoms, depression or anxiety. It doesn't mean it's Mm full-blown, but people get very by that, What's different about this kind of grief is that there's a pretty predictable trajectory of pretty shock and numbness. Then it wears off some, and then there's a searching and yearning where they're really hitting the reality that this is my life story. Then it's really disorienting. And they cycle back through all shock and numbness, searching and yearning, and are disoriented until, over a period of a good year and a half, they get more stabilized and integrate. Keeping in mind that all through that time, there are anniversary dates, not just of due date and of testing, but there's all the life events that they imagined attending pregnant or with baby. Now they have to live through them without the pregnancy and without baby. Mm -hmm. And all they had was that imagining. Certainly we do that with people that live in our lives, Mm -hmm. but we have all sorts of other experiences of them to draw on in our comforting memories. Mm -hmm. And these are so isolated and so few that it's very difficult to derive comfort.
0: Right. So just the searching and yearning part and the disorientation speaks directly to that as really trying to find a footing on some level in how to get through this and how to integrate or understand the loss within your own life. And this is one loss
1: where parents expect They each have the same attachment and that they will each respond with the same intensity. Any other loss affects one more than the other. It's your mother, it's my uncle, but this is our baby. And so it really challenges the couple relationship and communication style and comforting in a young couple who hasn't had a lot of life experience of bumps. Mm -hmm. And so, That also complicates the grief and challenges the relationship in ways that puts at risk to overgeneralize that there's a marital problem when it simply is a matter of developing skills, finding other resources of support, and accepting that our partners can't be everything.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Wow. That's kind of a hard lesson at other times, too, without this kind of additional loss or stress.
1: Exactly. And then think about that. And couples in this first year and a half are generally going to think about a subsequent pregnancy, Mm -hmm. but they really aren't completely stable again when they're ready to tolerate the anxiety of another pregnancy. Most of the time is really healing. It's a lot to navigate.
0: Right. So in the following pregnancies, all the worry about loss again and having to potentially deal with all of this pain all over again, but being hopeful and that's a lot to hold.
1: It is. And then to pace yourself, even if nothing happens, it's still anxiety producing for the whole time. And in group or online, you've heard all the other things that could happen. So the goals in support group or in supportive counseling or in psychotherapy really are to manage the anxiety, to promote the patient advocating for themselves and getting optimal care to manage psychologically, socially, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way to prevent that. It's, a, it's more a matter of managing and finding those points where you can feel secure and attached.
0: So in terms of the process through and healing through this, I mean, I really like what you said. It's a matter of managing. but this, you're going to feel these feelings. And I think a lot of people try not to because, mm-hmm. again, who wants to feel this? Mm-hmm. Uh, who wants to experience this? But I think what you're also saying that in order to get through to a point where you're not as severely or intensely impacted, part of the deal is feeling what's coming up. And having supportive people around you and whether that, you know, however the support comes, but certainly with a trained therapist or a support group. Right. So in your work, what are the ways that you are helping families process and heal through this in addition to what you've just stated? I find
1: it really important to... First of all, be reassuring. There's a model of caring that really does not require psychological training. And it's about knowing what to expect, knowing normalcy of the reactions. I most frequently say to people, what you're experiencing is normal and it's miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's to be expected, and here's what it generally looks like, and here's how we're going to get through that together. So I know what it looks like. I provide caring and compassion, doing for as part of it, and facilitating. I know what information is available. I try and find out how well do they understand what happened, how much do they want to know about that, I advocate for them either continuing with a provider that they feel good about or changing if they don't, the stage for them getting information just ahead of when they need it. So I am providing guidance what decisions need to be made when and what can be postponed. So early on, there are a lot of decisions they have to make about burial, about naming, about sharing the news, about recovery and back to work, that they don't need to think about things down the road. That's all they need to think about. Being able to do that to really cluster them. I talk about time chunking. Mm -hmm. Let's just get from here to a month from now. Let's just get from there to three months from now. Talk about when you think you might be ready to consider another pregnancy. But we don't need to do that now. We can't know that far ahead. Mm -hmm. So a lot of pacing based on a trajectory that I know to be the common trajectory. Mm -hmm. And then they're borrowing on my faith that they're going to get through this because pretty much everyone I've seen has gotten through this over the course of probably almost thirty years now,
0: right? That's a pretty important part. A lot of people who've experienced this, from what I hear and see, is that it's just there's no way to be able to understand how you're going to be able to get through this with the depth of feeling right that brings up. So you're like an anchor.
1: Yes, exactly. And so that's a really good analogy and my goal is to help create anchors in their life that will be with them ongoing and I talk about like real people not that I'm not and not that my relationship with them isn't important but I'm not in their life on an ongoing basis mm-hmm. so I want them I want us to discover anchors that they have in each other if it's a couple mm-hmm. in their family and in their friendships and in other parts of life that they might grow in. Into so that they've got some stability ongoing.
0: Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about the things that are helpful to say to folks, whether you're a friend or a provider, to be supportive and to be compassionate. What are some things that people can avoid saying that seem helpful but maybe actually aren't?
1: The standard desire to minimize it is not useful. It really feels supportive and Acting and as though what they're feeling, or that this baby wasn't important to them. First, you also need to listen carefully. For some women, early miscarriage is not as tragic as others. About 25% of women respond to it as a part of life, something they knew could happen. And so they sometimes feel judged for not showing more intensity of emotion. Mm-hmm. And they might still need support because of that, that there's judgment coming. So that's one piece of it. The other is it's never a helpful statement to say at least. If you're leading with at least it was only early, at least you're young and you can have another, at least it wasn't your first baby. Those are not useful things to say. I know you'll get through this. How can I help? Are helpful, and then there are people that ha- impose their beliefs of God needed an angel oh. or can't handle more. God only gives you as much as you can handle. That those also are not helpful. You might believe that, and they may be used to believe that. Right now, parents going through this at this point in time do not feel like they have gotten only as much as they can handle. And so it feels judgmental, and it feels to them as though, well, there must be something wrong with me then. Mm -hmm. I'm falling short, or what did I do that I'm being punished for? It just sets in motion a lot of unnecessary angst
0: And yeah, I mean, I think most people are trying to come from a good place, but generally where people are uncomfortable talking about this. So I think the minimizing also that they end up doing by saying at least is also in some way to help themselves feel better because it's so hard to tolerate what what, a loss. Yeah, the pain. And I agree that it's
1: coming from a place of wanting to spare them Mm -hmm. the intensity of their grief and to spare them from losing something that they may never have had the experience before of not accomplishing something they set out to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so they're devastated in a new life experience Mm -hmm. and others want to protect them from that, but you can't. You can be alongside them and they really are not going to not stop crying Mm -hmm. people get exhausted from crying so they're not really going to fall apart they're not going to go crazy they're not going to not be were certainly not exactly but most people come through this and they have strength and wisdom that they would gladly trade to have their baby Mm -hmm. but they do come through with strength and wisdom that they didn't have before
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Of course, people would rather have their baby, just as you were saying, But these families are resilient and these people are resilient. Amazing to see however long it takes for them to get through and to find a way to integrate their child, their lost child in their lives. Yes. So I had the pleasure and privilege of taking your training, which I strongly feel like everybody should do. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about what your training is just so people can get a sense if they're hearing, if you're a provider listening right now and you are feeling like, wow, I really do want to know more, what are the things that you offer in your training?
1: So my training is a small group intensive training. It's a 14-hour training and it is set up to create a safe environment so that the participants can learn the content but also can do their own self-inventory throughout about what does it trigger in me, what does it remind me of, what parts of this are hard for me, what questions does that bring up, including how am I going to manage my own feelings, Uh or I think that kind of case would be hard for me, Uh or when do I decide to call for consultation, this piece really confuses me no matter how many times you say it. So it's a long period of time all in a row where this group fundamentally becomes a learning community. And most of my small groups continue contact afterwards because they've learned so much about each other, not only professionally, but personally. Mm -hmm. Start by talking about our first experiences with loss personally and professionally and by the end of that evening, people feel both raw and it's hard to go home, but also they feel really connected and so the next day, they just drop into this place of it being a very safe, protected environment. And that's when we start learning the content and they see videos and hear stories about real life families having already becoming acquainted their own selves in reaction. So they can do both. We can toggle between both throughout two days. So they're being cared for caregivers and getting supervision and consultation and support while also integrating really difficult information Mm -hmm. about the content, the research, and also skill building. It's very much skill building of working. So my first one is for psychotherapists. Mm -hmm. It's 14-hour, and then I have a day training just for fetal abnormality because it in itself requires a whole nother level of both self care and caring for client and then i'm in process of rolling out similar training for midwives childbirth educators and ecfe instructors and midwives so that's basically what the training is and then i have a separate training that will be rolling out soon for making a baby with assisted reproductive technology and all of them are very interactive the first larger group of 19 in a half day for the International Perinatal Bereavement Conference. And I was surprised how interactive it was. I hadn't run a group that size. So I am actually going to consider doing larger groups, which makes it more fiscally, possible to travel somewhere and do a group of 19 for that to be able to support bringing me and I feel confident that the group of 19 also had a very rich experience Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I just loved this training and it really for the professionals who are listening you bring an amount of medical knowledge that we just don't get if we're not in medical school that we need to know about in order to best support our clients, I think, so that we can kind of understand and help them navigate their experience. I just really value you and your training and your knowledge and the work that you're doing in the world. Awesome.
1: Thank you. I do really see this as a health psychology specialty. And so health psychologists need to know the medical information and they need to know it with expert level of knowledge. And I was fortunate to be exposed to it firsthand. It's going to be very difficult for people not in the medical field. And so this is the best I can give to an immersion experience that really gets at the whole medical backdrop that the patient has been. And I agree, Kat, that we really understand that in, in order to be the best we can be in providing support.
0: Absolutely. Oh, well, I think that this information is great, not only for providers that are listening, but for moms and families who are listening to this, to know that they're, um, you, know, you can get specialized support around loss and just to normalize on some of the things that go on during this period of time. It's such a hard Process thing to go through for any family, and um, just some of the information that you gave today, I know will be helpful for those who are listening who've had a loss and are still working on trying to understand how to get through this.
1: I would encourage people to look online at some of the major organizations in order to find experts in their area. I also do teletherapy sessions to get people started, and mm-hmm. I'm also very happy to connect them with people in their own areas. I think it's important for moms and families to know that there are experts and you have a right to find somebody who really is an expert in this field.
0: Absolutely. And do you know some of those websites so I can include them in my show notes and people can look up?
1: So the best website is Resolve Through Sharing Bereavement Services to contact the national office because they have coordinators in all of the states and they would contact the coordinator who would know of resources in their state.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, great, fantastic. And then your website? is bereavementservices.org. Perfect. Okay, and for those who are looking to, who want to look up your training, Shoshana Center. Shoshana Center.com. And if you just Google Shoshana Center, you'll get to me. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Rich. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this information about this very difficult topic. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hi there. I'm popping in before this episode wraps up to give you the details of the seventh annual Emerging Considerations in Maternal Mental Health Forum hosted by 2020 MOM. I will be there and I'm very excited for this event. This year's forum will be held in Los Angeles on February 13th and will discuss the maternal mental health link to hormones and inflammation, as well as the role of diet, with two amazing presenters. You can register for the live event in Los Angeles for just $95 or view a webcast from the comfort of your own home or office for $50. So, anywhere in the world you are, you can watch this forum. And here's where it gets better. Listeners of this podcast will also receive a 15% discount by using the registration code MOMANDMIND, one word, MOMANDMIND. Learn more at www.2020mom.org slash annual forum. And I'll have all this information for you guys in the show notes. So you can just click on that link if you prefer to do it that way. Also, to learn more about 2020 Mom in general, listen back to episode 11, where I interviewed Joy Burkhardt, the founder and executive director of 2020 Mom. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community.